Hello, I'm Dr. Lon Lon Smith, Editor-in-Chief of The Lancet Hematology, and I'm very pleased to be joined today by Dr. Sarah O'Brien, and who is going to be talking to us about a Phase three clinical trial comparing apixaban with no anticoagulation in children with acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Thank you so much for joining us today, Sarah. Can you please briefly introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. Thank you for having me as a guest today. My name is Sarah O'Brien. I'm a pediatric hematologist. I work at the Ohio State University, um, which is in um, Columbus, Ohio in the United States. And I'm an associate professor of pediatrics here. And my specialty is um, hemostasis and thrombosis in children. Wonderful. So can you tell us a little bit about your Prevapidex ALL? Is that how you say the trial name? Uh, what's the background of the trial and what was the what was the aim? Sure. So the, um, the name of the trial is Prevapix ALL. And um, it's always difficult to come up with those acronyms. Yeah, definitely. The hardest part of any study, I think. So this is a study that I mean, I've been in pediatric hematology for, for 20 years now, and the problem of thrombosis in, in pediatric cancer has always been a complication that we deal with, and especially in children with acute lymphoblastic leukemia. They're one of the highest risk groups. So over the years, um, I, I feel like this has almost been a holy grail in pediatric hematology. So many people have tried to study this problem. And it's just really challenging because of the rarity of pediatric cancer. And then when you're talking about a complication within pediatric cancer, it becomes an, an even more rare topic to study. Um, we know that in pediatric ALL, about 5% of children will develop a symptomatic blood clot at some point in their therapy. So it's definitely a complication that we're interested in preventing. But historically, we've always had to use low molecular weight heparin when we're thinking about doing prophylaxis in children and certainly adding a subcutaneous injection to an already complicated treatment of, of leukemia is not you know, well received by anybody, to be frank, whether it's healthcare providers, families, or the patients themselves. So once the direct oral anticoagulants became aware, became available to children, um, there was a lot of interest in trying to study this topic using a direct oral anticoagulant. Yeah, because something that can be taken by mouth is much better than yet another needle that needs to be administered to a child. So definitely a worthwhile topic. So what did your study show? We were able to enroll the um, required amount of 500 patients, which was a feat in itself. Um, and so that's that's great to have um, been able to do a, a powered study on this topic. Um, what we found was that in the general population that um, the use of low-dose apixaban did not make a difference in the frequency of blood clots between the two groups. Um, we used a primary outcome that included both symptomatic and asymptomatic thrombosis um, because we knew we wouldn't be powered otherwise if we only looked at symptomatic thrombosis. Um, but we actually did did not um, find our hypothesis. We did not find a difference between the two groups. Yeah, but 
there was no difference in major bleeding between the two groups either, was there? Um, because that's a very important side was not for anticoagulation. Exactly. That was very reassuring to see. And that's pretty similar with what others have seen when they try to top, study this topic is that major bleeding is is rare when we use these agents. And, and in such a high-risk bleeding group such as leukemia, that was very reassuring to see that. Finding. Did you do any um, sort of patient satisfaction, family satisfaction kind of follow-up on these things? Because as you mentioned at the beginning, a subcutaneous injection versus an oral administration might make a difference in terms of um, how the overall treatment regimen. So was was there any kind of follow-up on that? We did not do anything like that. That would have been a great idea. I think the only information like that that was collected was um, looking at the taste of the apixaban liquid to families that were using that formulation. But no, there were not surveys about acceptability in general. We we know from the Thrombotech study, which was a, a really important study in this area that actually enrolled 900 children. I don't know how they did that. Kudos, kudos to that group. But um we know that in, in the Thrombotech study, families that were randomized to low molecular weight heparin, a fair number of them dropped out of the study upon having that randomization. So we know at least from their experience that that, that is a displeaser to families to use a subcutaneous. Oh, injection. that is really interesting. So given that you didn't see the a statistically significant difference in your primary endpoint, what are the implications of your findings? To me, I think the most important findings from this study are, are what you mentioned earlier, the lack of major bleeding. Um, and I think we know that you know the risk of thrombosis within pediatric leukemia is not all the same. We know from epidemiologic studies that uh, teenagers are at higher risk. Um, we know that patients with particular types of leukemia are at higher risk. Patients certainly with a personal history or a family history of thrombosis. So, so to me as a provider, what I learned from this study is that apixaban is safe to use in this population. And so, when I am, when I have a patient who I view to be at high risk for thrombosis for um, whatever reason, then I feel like I now have this other agent that I can use as an alternative rather than to the standard of of the injectable low molecular weight heparin. Yeah, I mean, that's quite interesting because you mentioned the difference in age range. And you did see that a bit in your study as well, that the children in that were younger than 10 versus children that were older than 10 had a difference. I, obviously, this is a subgroup analysis, and we have all the caveats of that. The power study is not necessarily powered for that, but um, maybe you could expand on that point a little bit more, if there is anything more to say. Sure. No, and I think that's a really important point from this study. And what we found is that in those younger children, although major bleeding was not increased, we did see a statistically significant increased risk of clinically relevant non-major bleeding in younger patients. Almost all of that were due to episodes of epistaxis. And I think that makes sense. We know that younger children are at higher risk for epistaxis. We know that from our bleeding disorder patients and from the general population at large. So to me, knowing that um, the risk of thrombosis in general should be lower in younger children and our findings that the risk of bleeding was higher in younger children, I think definitely shows that 
Bravo prophylaxis should be targeted to older populations. Oh, that's really interesting. So um, another thing that Weiser noted when looking through reading your manuscript uh, is that one of the limitations that you mentioned is the length of follow-up. Could you please tell us a little bit more about that and how that effect potentially affected the outcome of your study? Sure. So when we were designing this study you know, 12 years ago, um, we really debated about when the study should end. And certainly the benefit of longer follow-up is that you have more opportunities to see how the agent is working. You know, is it working to reduce thrombosis? Because while thrombosis is particularly common in that first month of therapy, it's certainly not the only time that we see thrombosis. However, what happens in pediatric leukemia is the, um, the treatment is divided into different sections. You start with induction, which is about um, one month long of the first round of treatment. And then the second stage of treatment in pediatric leukemia is called consolidation. And what happens in consolidation is patients undergo a lumbar puncture every single week for a series of um, four to five weeks. And our concern was that... Um, one, the apixia would have to be held so often during that month that would we really see an effect? And more importantly, we worry that we would be placing patients at a safety risk every single week if somebody forgot to hold their apixaban, for example, and their procedure had to be delayed or, or um, somebody had a bleeding episode because they didn't hold it and it wasn't come to, didn't come to light that they didn't hold it. So we just felt like there were too many safety concerns. So that's why the decision was made to only follow patients through induction. Um, but what that means, though, is that there wasn't a lot of apixaban exposure. In general, um, because patients typically enrolled on the study a few days after starting induction and because it was held um, for the day 28, 29 bone marrow lumbar puncture, most patients only received about 21 days of apixaban in this study. Mm, so maybe if there had been a longer uh, window of treatment, you may have seen more. So I guess, what do you think... Where lies the future for, for this area of research then? We, we've got low molecular weight heparins, which we know work, but have their limitations in terms of administration. And we have now the DOACs that seem to work, but we don't have as much data. What, what do you think is next in the field? So I think in terms of looking from our study and then looking more broadly. So for, for our study, we certainly have a lot more data to comb through. Um, we're interested in, in looking at those subgroups. Um, we're working right now looking at the obesity subpopulation um, where um, there may be more of a signal for apixaban and those patients tend to be older. So perhaps there will be less bleeding and the risk benefit ratio may be different. So that's what we're focusing on right now. Um, we also had a optional biomarker um, sub-study as part of the Prevapix ALL trial, and that data is currently being analyzed. And we hope that that will help identify who are some of the patients who are at higher risk for thrombosis, and that, again, maybe that risk-benefit ratio is different. So those are our next steps in terms of Prevapix ALL. I think my dream next step, which I don't think will ever be possible, would be to do a randomized trial in those high-risk patients. So I would love to be able to do a, a randomized study of, um, of a direct oral anticoagulant in, 
in adolescents with leukemia and obese patients, so that, that high-risk subgroup. Um, unfortunately, I think it would just be too hard and too long to find to find those patients and enroll them. This is such a challenging um, area in which to enroll patients. Patients have just found out that their child has cancer. Um, the providers are very busy enrolling them on several studies, whether it's treatment studies, biology studies, it's hard to fit a supportive care study into the mix. So I think there are just a lot of barriers to this form of research. Um, but I think there are lessons learned. I think next steps will be, I do think there will be more clinical use of direct oral anticoagulants in this patient population, both for prevention and for um, the treatment of thrombosis when it does occur. So I hope that people can collaborate and work together and begin to gather that real-world data of how people are using these agents in pediatric leukemia. I do think there will be, whether it's evidence-based or not, I do anticipate seeing a shift from low molecular heparin to direct oral anticoagulants for the treatment of um, cancer-related thrombosis in children. Fantastic. Watch this space then. Lots going on in the field. Yeah. Yes. And I mean, it's more to come. It is so difficult with all the challenges with a rare subset within a rare disease. And as you say, there's so many other competing competing interests for, for trials as well. So thank you. Yes. And I'm just as a as the study chair, you know, I'm so thankful for the 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 oncologists who really did you know take the time to explain this study to families. It's not a short discussion. Um, and to all the families who who chose to add this on to an already busy plate.